This episode of AmateurLogic.tv is brought to you by Gigaparts.com, the amateur radio online superstore. Between now and August 31st, 2013, use the promo code ALTVFREE7 at checkout to receive a free gift with your order. MFJ, the world leaders in ham radio accessories at MFJEnterprises.com. And by ICOM, and the limited time by direct D-Star infrastructure program and software offers. Visit ICOMAmerica.com slash D-Star for details. Welcome to AmateurLogic.tv, episode 57. I'm George. I'm Tommy. And I'm Peter. And it's what, Tommy? Man, it's great to be back. It is. Uh, it's been an uh, interesting summer here so far. You know, it was cool for, um, I mean, almost like a month. It wasn't cool, but cool for this time of year in Mississippi. For, for us, it was. For yeah. us, it was. But now it's back up near 100. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's been hot. At least, at least we got a little rain today for a change. It's been like a powder keg out there. It has. What's it been like mm. down there, Peter? Oh, it's uh, it's been cold, but uh, today, this weekend, it's actually going to be uh, fairly fine and sunny. Uh, temperature about eighteen degrees Celsius. Uh, I'm curious about one thing. Uh, when you say it's hot down in Mississippi, is that tropical heat type of hot? Very humid. Um. Yeah. yeah. One day this week it was it was about ninety. Eight degrees, yeah, yeah. real degrees, and they said it was ninety something percent humidity. Yeah, I, wow. I think it was the heat index was like a hundred and six or something yeah, like that. It's really hot. Yeah. yeah, we get a dry heat here in Australia, which is a little bit more tol- tolerable. Oh yeah, yeah. What about in uh, in northern Australia? Is it humid up there? Oh, oh yes, that that's uh, that's the tropical part of Australia. Yeah. Uh, I was talking about places like Perth and Melbourne, and uh, to a lesser extent Sydney. But once you hit uh, anywhere north of about Brisbane, it starts to get much much more humid. Well, what have we got in today's show, Tommy? Well, we've got uh, we, actually this is a tech field show. It is a tech field show. Something we, we covered a wide bandwidth with this show. Yeah, it's a little bit of, I think we're hitting a pretty broad group of people. We are. So, anyway, uh, I'm playing around with the DVAP and the Raspberry Pi this month. Yeah, I know that's been a much requested yeah. segment you yeah, got going there. And, uh, it's been a lot of fun. Peter, what are you doing? Well, I was just watching the latest episode of um, Ham Nation, and I think you mentioned that uh, you hadn't played very much with APRS. So uh, I'm going to give a bit of a demo of um, APRS and APRS tracking. Okay, cool. And I've got one here that's uh, uh, a little different. But, uh, you know, we build things, but sometimes things break and you you have to repair them, such is the case with uh, my TS-2000. So we'll be looking at that a little bit later in the show as well. 
Well, let's get in on the emails here. And uh, Tommy, I know you, you had a special card over there, didn't you? This is from our friend uh, NC4BS Eric. It says, hello, George and Tommy. Just wanted to let you know that both of you guys are now honorary members of NC4BS Broadcast Dudes Amateur Radio Club. All right. Keep, keep up the good work, 73, Eric. Uh, they're in uh, Mills River, North Carolina. And I believe uh, we talked to Eric on D-Star, if I'm not mistaken. I think I, that's him. I think we did. What about you, Peter? Are you a member of the club, too? Uh, yes, I've got my uh, card here. And uh, thanks very much, Eric, and to everybody at the club. What's on your email stack over there, Tommy? Well, I actually got a special one here from my friend Mike. You oh, know, yeah. Mike that does yeah. the uh, Photoshop pictures over on the Google Plus group. Anyway, it says, uh, Dear Amateur Logic TV, I largely credit ALTV for rekindling my interest in amateur radio. That being said, last week I purchased a new 2-meter mobile rig. It's been over 20 years since I've had a ham radio in a vehicle. As I finished up the installation of the roof-mounted antenna, my wife arrived in the driveway, obviously spotting the new installed vertical whip, got out of the car and immediately started to shout, Nerdmobile, Nerdmobile. (laughs) Since I've been out of the hobby for some time, I'm counting on your advice as to what the appropriate response should have been. Uh, Sincerely, Mike, VE3MIC. Well, Mike, I see a picture of your car here, and I don't really see anything wrong with it, so I'm not sure what she's talking about. But if she gives you any more trouble about it, take her around and show her what you did to the front of the car, too. That should stop it. I I think that would stop it. Yeah, I yeah. think so too, because she's going to have to ride in the back seat. Yeah. <laughs> well, Peter, what's on your stack? Yeah, I've got a email here from Chris VK4FR. Says uh, just catching up on some back issues, and I'd say someone has reminded you about the. Uh, John Moyle Field Day. Yes, I've uh, gotten a few comments from a few people about that. And indeed, yes, we do have our own field day here in Australia, the John Moyle Field Day, which is held about every March or so. And uh, you can get further details about that uh, on the uh, WIA website, www.wia.org.au. And, uh, yeah, it's not only a contest, but it's an opportunity to uh, get outdoors and uh, to um, uh, work um, uh, mobile and in an outdoor setting. Yeah, I bet you caught a lot of flack over that one, didn't you? <laughs> I got a few emails, yes. <laughs> well, I've got one here from Eric Boyle, N0YET. And Eric said, I'm a regular viewer. I just downloaded the VOA program. And I wanted to make sure to tell you all that. I'm very impressed. I honestly feel like I'm watching one of the PBS or Discovery Channel documentaries. It's literally that good. I like all your shows, but you guys outdid yourself with this episode. Thank you, and keep up the good work. Uh, oh, and he said, P.S., I met you and Tommy at Dayton uh, when I was a volunteer at the Ham Nation booth, and you guys are awesome. I'm the geeky guy up front in the picture they took. That was everybody, including you, too. Yeah, that didn't narrow it down much, did it? I think I remember that guy. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Peter, give us an introduction to your segment for this month. Yes, George. Uh, When I first got my license about 17 years ago, one of the first areas of amateur radio that I started uh, getting involved in was uh, packet radio. And uh, I... Uh, whilst over the years uh, packet radio has sort of died off a little bit, 
it, it, there is another usage for it, which is uh, APRS, which I think stands for Automatic Packet Reporting System. Anyway, uh, it's uh, basically a system for uh, – I shouldn't ex- – mm, sorry. Got to concentrate. Sorry, sorry. I'll start again. <sighs> yes, George. Many years ago when I first started uh, in amateur radio and I got my license, I got involved with packet radio. One of the uses for packet radio is APRS. So this segment is a demonstration of what APRS is and how it works. As you can see, I've been madly soldering away here. And what I've been working on is this little kit here. Uh, it's a kit for an APRS tracker. And that's called the Foxtrack Basic FT1111. Uh, it's designed by Dinesh VU2FD, and his project page is www.foxdelta.com. And he's located in India. Now, uh, when you go to his webpage, you'll see that there are certain countries that he doesn't ship to. And these include Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan, and India. Go figure. Anyway, uh, I've almost finished the kit. Uh, except that I've put a couple of capacitors in the wrong spot. So I've got a little bit of repair work ahead of me, but we're almost there. Uh, the only other thing I'll say about the kit, apart from the fact that it's uh, pretty well set out and the instructions are pretty easy to read, is that they actually mention capacitor C5 twice in the list of instructions. And they mention it once as being a 1 microfarad capacitor and again as being a 0.1 microfarad capacitor. And in fact, both capacitors were supplied with the kit. However, when you look at the circuit board, you'll see there's only space for one capacitor, and the circuit diagram suggests that that's a one microfarad capacitor. So if, if you're in any doubt, I suggest that you uh, cons- uh, contact Dinesh and get some clarification. So I can't show you this uh, uh, APRS tracker in operation today, but no worries because I already own an APRS tracker. This is an Open Tracker Plus, which comes from Argent Data System, and it's got an RS232 plug on either end. Now, I also have an Argent Data System's ADS-GM1 Magnetic GPS. That plugs in one end of the Open Tracker. The power cables I've wired to this cigarette lighter plug and that's because it'll run off 12 volts and I've also got a cable here that comes from the other RS232 and it goes to my HT and and plugs in the the little sockets on the side here for the earphone and the microphone. What will happen in practice is that the open tracker will ask the GPS where am I, what's my latitude and longitude And once it knows that, it will encode that into a packet of data and transmit it out the HT. So how to demonstrate this? Well, I'm feeling a bit famished. So what I'll do is I'll go for a drive and uh, take the kit with me and I'll put the magnetic GPS on my roof and uh, plug the cigarette lighter plug into my cigarette lighter and turn it all on and get it setting some packets. And it should send a packet about every minute or so. And we'll see where the packets actually go. So let's give it a try. I've now returned from a drive through my local area. 
I started home and went down to Baronia, through the basin, up and over Mount Dandenong, down to Kilsyth South, through the local McDonald's drive through and then back home. As I was driving along, my open tracker would send a packet of data about every minute or so, and some of those packets of data were received by local gateway stations like VK3MY-1, and those stations would take the packet of data, send it through the internet to this website, www.aprs.fi. Those packets of data are then plotted on this Google Maps-style interface, which, by the way, is a worldwide map. And so I can look on this worldwide map and see APRS stations right across the globe. I can look at Los Angeles, San Francisco, or as the case here, my local district. Now, as you can see, uh, these little red dots here are packets of data that have been received by local gateway stations. If I click on one of these, you'll see that at 3.38pm in the afternoon of the 4th of August 2013, I was travelling at 31 kilometres per hour in a northeasterly direction at an altitude of 171 metres above sea level. There's a text message in here which doesn't change on my open tracker. It says, Peter generally listening on VK3 RML. Now, if you've got a modern mobile rig uh, with packet radio capability, chances are you can actually type in a message there and send it into the APRS network. So, for example, if there was a fire on Mount Dandenong, you could actually type fire on Mount Dandenong and send that message around to people in your local area and alert them, which would be very, very handy. So it's really a good system for situational awareness. Now, as you can see, my packets of data approximate the route that I took. Not perfectly, but close enough. And at this point, the packets of data stop being received. The reason is that I've travelled up and over Mount Dandenong and reception conditions for the gateway stations are not so good when I'm travelling up there. I'm blocked by hills and whatnot. So uh, the last packet that was received was here and then the next one was when I was coming down the other side of Mount Dandenong and I've been received by another gateway station VK3 API at this point and uh, there's a few more re uh, packets received as I I've driven home so you can see it's plotted my map very very well the equipment is relatively portable so you can be pedestrian mobile or bicycle mobile or car mobile and it will plot it all on the map like just like you see in front of you. And it's really, really fun to uh, go to this website from time to time. And you can actually see cars moving up and down local freeways and uh, you can actually uh, track them in real time. One other uh, rather useful uh, thing you can do, and I don't know whether there's going to be any uh, stations locally uh, around at the moment that I can demonstrate this with, but it is actually possible uh, no, there's no cars about at the moment, but it is actually possible to click on uh, a car that's moving uh, along the freeway and actually uh, open up Street View. So you can actually look at uh, the Street View of the location where the car is at that point in time. And as the car moves along the freeway, the Street View changes, which is quite, quite incredible to watch. The other thing that you can see is uh, fixed base stations here, such as uh, this WX station here. It's a weather station and it's telling me that at the moment it's 13.3 degrees uh, in that location and the humidity is 79% and the pressure is 999.4 millibars. So 
as I, as I said before, this whole system is really, really good for situational awareness. We'll finish up with a little bit of trivia. You may not be aware of this, but the International Space Station, the ISS, is itself a gateway for APRS. So let's say you're out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, far, far away from any two-metre packet radio stations. You can actually take your open tracker and uh, set your HT to the ISS packet radio station. And when the ISS passes above you, you can send an APRS packet. It'll be received by the ISS packet radio station. Uh, later on, it'll actually be downloaded to a terrestrial ground station. Uh, it will then pass its way through the internet and it'll find its way onto this map. So uh, you can actually be plotted from the middle of the ocean onto the APRS network, which is quite incredible and quite incredible also that you're actually using the ISS to do that. So uh, if you haven't played around with the APRS network before and maybe you've got some packet radio equipment lying around, I'd encourage you to, to try it out and learn a little bit more about it. If At a minimum, come to APRS.fi and have a look at the stations driving up and down in your local area. It's lots of fun. You know, we got a few good sponsors here on uh, Amateur Logic, and we're going to be going to see one of them here in just a couple of weeks at the Huntsville Ham Fest. Yeah, it's actually next weekend. It is next weekend, isn't it? So let's see what Gigaparts is talking about this month. Built to last, the ICOM 7410 is the only rig in its class rated for 100% duty cycle, making it the best choice for ready, contesting, and digital modes. Get more performance for your money with its best-in-class dual conversion receiver, greatly reducing internal phase noise insertion points. The 7410's large LCD screen makes it easy to operate its more advanced features, and the USB port makes it simple to connect to your PC for rig control, logging, or digital modes. No other radio in its class can deliver the performance or reliability offered by the ICOM IC7410. Gigaparts is the largest independent amateur radio dealer in the nation. Everything you need for ham radio, including books, DVDs, antennas, rope, coax, and tuners. Gigaparts has it all and is open Monday through Saturday. Call us toll-free at 866-535-4442, and our friendly staff will be happy to help you find the right products for nearly any project and budget. Online shopping made easy with real-time pricing and availability and free shipping on most orders. Go to gigaparts.com and enter to win a free radio. Have a question? Click on Live Chat for a quick answer. Low prices? Huge selection. America's favorite ham radio store is Gigaparts. So go to gigaparts.com and check it out. You'll find your best deals there. And remember, at checkout, enter the promo code ALTVFREE7 now through August the 31st, and you'll get a free gift with your order. It'll be great to see those guys over in Huntsville. I don't know if you can walk into the booth there and use that offer code or not, but it'd be worth a shot and see. Yeah, I'd sure give it a try. Yeah, who knows? Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing those guys. They always have a pretty big spread out there at the Hamfest. They do, and we're going to see a lot of it at the Von Braun Center uh, August the 17th and 18th when we go for the Huntsville Ham Fest. I'm really looking forward to that, Tommy. Yeah, man, that's a great ham fest. It is, and uh, we're taking Wayne over with us, and uh, 
No telling who else we'll run into. Yeah. I think Tom Samaseko will be there. Tom will be there. Um, Don Wilbanks. Mm-hmm. A lot, um, lot of people. Yeah. Uh, which Which is the bigger of the two, Dayton or, or Huntsville? Oh, Dayton. Yeah, by far. By far, but but Huntsville is a very good one. It's probably the biggest one in the South. Yeah, it's it's big. It's 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 a good day or day and a half ham fest. You can you know it's a lot of stuff in there, but it's not so much as overwhelming. Yeah, yeah, but it, you you know it's a two day ham fest. If you look at everything there, you'll use up the two days. Oh yeah, yeah. Well. Um, you know, Tommy, I was recently having some problems with my HF radio, very similar to some that you had not long ago. Yeah, I had the same problem with my uh, Yesu. For some time now, I thought I'd noticed that the receiver on my TS-2000 just didn't work as well as it used to. And signal strength readings were low as well. And this has been going on for some time. And eventually, I noticed that I was getting what sounded like bad static crashes coming in when there were no thunderstorms. I disconnected the antenna from the rig, and I still had them, so I knew something was up. A little search on the internet led to several websites that talked about this problem with some IF filters going bad in the unit, and I researched a little further and found some replacement filters. These are of the similar spec, but made by a different manufacturer, and I'll use those to replace them in my TS-2000 here. To begin with, we'll have to flip the unit over and remove some of the screws here that hold the bottom cover on. Once we've got the cover off, there's a number of small screws all over the board here that need to be removed, and I've already removed them here. And there's also a little clip here that holds this semiconductor against a heat sink. We'll need to pull that clip off, and that's simple. We'll just take a screwdriver and pull up on it. And there is one wire here that'll need to be disconnected. It's the one that runs to the rear of the board, plugs in right here. And there's also one little key pin down in here. There's a hole that a little pin sticks up through that just kind of helps you to align the board when you're putting it in. So we need to be careful when we pull the board up that we clear that pin before we try to tilt it on over. Once we get the board removed, rather than disconnecting all these ribbon cables, I'm just going to flip the board over. I've got a couple little boxes here, about the same height as the rig, slightly taller. And we'll just lay it over and set it on them. And now we can work on the unit. I don't think you could remove these with solder wick without damaging something else on the board. And I don't think you could do it with a uh, hand-powered solder pump. Fortunately, I got a desoldering station recently, and that's really going to come in handy here. Two of our filters are located in this area of the board. CF1 is this filter located right here. There's three leads here, two on this side. And CF2 is right here. There's three leads on it, and then two on the other side of it. And you can kind of identify it because CF3 has four pins here. That's the longer filter that's on the board. And these are right to the left of it. Now you can see there's a lot of little surface mount components on there. That's the reason we're going to have to be so careful doing this job.
Now, all of them felt like they came loose except this one right here in the center. I'm going to give it just a little more work. Now that filter's loose, and we'll do the same thing to the one on the right of it. Here's our two filters right here, and well, I got them both with one hand. Here's the two filters I just took out. These are Toco brand, and there's been a number of reports on uh, some of these filters being bad, not only in this TS2000, but also in uh, Yaesu 857D and possibly other radios. So for replacements here, I'm going to use LTM filters. Now these I had to order from England, so they took almost two weeks to get here. But it's a different brand, and the guy who I'm following here says that these work just fine for him. So they got the same specs. That's what we're going to go with. You'll notice that in the part number here, there's an E on this one and a G on this one. And we've got the same thing over here on the LTM filters. There's an E model and a G model of those as well. And on the board on the 2000, they're even marked 55E and 55G right there. Now, the original filters had been soldered in here with lead-free solder, and there's some speculation that possibly the additional heat needed for lead-free solder was causing these components to fail early. So I'm going back with a good old leaded solder, which I don't have to get quite as hot. As long as we're here, how can you tell if something was soldered with leaded or lead-free solder? Well, if you look at these that I just soldered in, each of the connections is good and shiny. If you look at some of these that were done with lead-free solder, you'll see they look a little dull, almost like a cold solder joint would look to us normally. That's the way lead-free solder looks. Now our last filter is not far from the others. Here's the two that we just did. The last one is right over here. This is CF4. We'll begin by removing it, but we'll also make a little modification here because there's more speculation. These filters were never made to have a DC voltage present on it, and the one in this position does. So we can add a capacitor to block that DC voltage. Now, I'm not recommending that you do these things yourself. You probably need to get someone skilled in doing this type of small work with the proper equipment to do this for you because you could damage your radio. Now there's an old trick that you can do sometimes when you've got problems desoldering something and that's to add a little solder back and start over because having enough solder on there it's going to allow the solder to flow better and get down to the places that haven't been releasing before. And that did the trick. It comes right out. And this one is an A55EC. And I have one of the LTM 455's EW here to replace it with. Now first, I'm going to solder the new filter in. And now for the modification. Now this is a very delicate operation. You can see this post right here has a trace coming off of it. What we need to do is break that trace and solder our capacitor in series with it. And we're going to use a 0.47 microfarad. And that thing is tiny. There it is right there. We'll put it right here. So cutting that trace is 
probably going to be the more difficult thing to do here. And I do want to be careful that I don't run my radio. I'm using an X-Acto knife here. Now it's cut all the way through. I'm going to scrape a little bit of the solder mask off the end of this tray so I have something to solder to. And now let's see if we can tin it. So now we can position our capacitor. Alright, that's got the end next to the filter stuck. Now let's do the trace. So our repair should be complete. Now we just got to reassemble everything and cross our fingers. Did that fix it? Not joke. It's good stuff. Hey George, before I get out of here, I, uh, I had my first flight. It was my, uh, my quadcopter with my 5.8 uh, gigahertz uh, ATV uh, video system. Uh, how did it work out? Worked out pretty good though, but uh, I've got to get an SMA, uh, a 90 degree SMA male to female. So there you go, how to replace the noisy IF filters in the TS-2000. This one had about gone stone cold death, but it's hearing much better now. As I mentioned earlier, don't try this yourself unless you're pretty good at this kind of stuff because you could damage your radio. Well, that's pretty weird, man. I had exactly the same problem with my Yezu. That, that's weird. You, you've got another one of those Yezus, and I have one too, and they've been okay, but mm -hmm. that one of yours... Yeah, that that's really weird. You can disconnect the antenna and you hear a thunderstorm going yeah, on. Yeah, But I had noticed this when the signal strength has been getting lower and lower for a long time, and I finally was having some problems hearing some stations I thought I should be able to hear. So, Yeah, yeah, but, it's a kind of an odd thing. Yeah, but that, you know, the on mine, the signal strength started going down long before I ever heard the static in it. So that, that was kind of weird. And uh, that, that radio is working... Uh, like it should be now. Yeah, it's but, good you put the cap in there, though. That should help prevent it from happening yeah, again. Yeah, that should. And, uh, you know, we are, my, my son recently got licensed, and I sent him over an old rig, and he's put it on the air there. And we've had a few problems with it. It works, but uh, not just right. So I've decided I'll probably send him over this TS-2000 because I've got a, a, a new radio in the rack up there. Yeah, yeah, that's... Uh, you moved up pretty good, uh, probably three, four, five notches there. Yeah, it's a IC seventy seven hundred. Man, is that a nice radio? Yeah, that's a beauty, man. I love the display. Yeah, yeah, I'm still learning it. It's uh, I don't know that I'll ever learn it all, but boy, it it really is a uh, a uh, uh, like you say, several steps up from the uh, two thousand. Oh yeah, it's a lot of fun though. Well, let's get back on into the emails here. Peter, I think you've got one there talking about our video production here. One thing in particular. <laughs> yes, indeed. This one's from uh, Russell, WP2AHG. And he says um, uh, he enjoys our program. Uh, the one thing, though, that I find a little disconcerting is Peter's disembodied head and shoulders floating between George and Tommy's perfectly intact bodies. Give that man a body. Uh, it's creeping him out a bit. <laughs> so uh, what do you think, George? Can we do anything? I'm not sure I'd call these perfectly intact. No, I, no <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> I don't know, Peter. We're, we've been uh, talking about it. We're going to try to do something a little bit different. Not sure what yet. The, the problem is that we're using chroma key here on both ends, and... 
Getting you to fit in between us here might be a bit of a challenge. Let's continue on here. I've got another email, and this one comes from Don. I don't have his call letters here, but I'm pretty sure he's a ham. He says, thanks for all your hard work. And he has a simple question. He needs a list of tower builders. He says he contacted U.S. Tower, and they emailed him a list. Most of the numbers on it had been disconnected or were not even close to his area. The reason he's asking is that his homeowner's insurance policy won't cover damage from a self-installed tower. That's something I wasn't realizing. He's contacted quite a few other major insurance companies and received similar answers. And the AWRL insurance, uh, it only covers equipment, but not property damage is uh, what he's found out. You know, Don, the best thing you can do is to call a radio station in your area or, or maybe call two or three of them because they're going to know the local tower crews and they're going to be looking for uh, usually the best deal too. So they should be able to hook you up with someone. Uh, Tommy, what's on your stack? I've got one from our friend Charlie. Charlie's calls KC2PED. He says, I saw your amateur logic segment on connecting the ID51 to a DVAP. I have a Pi and a DVAP running headless with a WiMAX dongle for internet access. For portable operation, I power it from a new Trent 1400 milliamp hour battery pack that has 5 volts, uh, everything it needs. I picked up a 12 volt 7.5 milliamp hour battery and plan to use it when portable, if, and it should run the hotspot 24 hours a day. He's wondering about the little monitor that I showed on the mm-hmm. segment and uh, you know how much current it would draw and um, how much it cost, about how much it costs. So, uh, Charlie, I ordered that from Amazon.com, and it cost me about $30. It's got a, a composite input, so the display on it's not real crisp, but it's readable. Yeah. And uh, it's a nice little monitor, and I actually measured the current on it. I, George twisted my arm and made me buy some test gear, so I actually got a, <laughs> uh, a power supply that measured the current, and it looks like it took about 110 milliamps. That sounds about it. right. I've got the same monitor. <clears throat> so your little battery, uh, it shouldn't hurt your battery too much if you decide you want to run it. Yeah. Speaking of DVAP, I know you've got uh, a special segment for us this time, but let's go right now and have a message from MFJ about a new antenna analyzer, and then we'll pick up with that. Okay. MFJ's got a brand new antenna analyzer that's gaining attention. It's all the RF diagnostic functions you need in an easy-to-use digital analyzer. The MFJ266C is a self-contained handheld RF test instrument. It's like owning several pieces of test equipment. It's a powerful wide-range signal source, inductance capacitance meter, network analyzer, RF fill strength meter, and a 500 megahertz frequency counter all in one small package. It covers all bands from one 1.5 through 65 megahertz, 105 to 230 MHz, and 300 to 490 MHz. That's HF, VHF, plus UHF, amateur, and commercial frequencies, all with digital precision. The Velvet Smooth 10 to 1 vernier dial and solid-state Vericap make fine-tuning a breeze, and a built-in dial lock prevents accidental detuning. 
In SWR mode, the MFJ266C reads 1 to 1 through 9.9 to 1 SWR, impedance magnitude from 10 to 500 ohms, and complex impedance, which is resistance and reactance. Best of all, it displays all three parameters and operating frequencies simultaneously in one quick glance, something that no other low-cost analyzer can claim. The 500 MHz frequency counter has 100 Hz and 1 kHz resolution, while the fill strength meter is extremely useful for checking oscillators, transmitters, and assessing the strength of radiated signals from antenna arrays. The MFJ266C even tracks down potential local signals that disrupt accurate SWR measurements and helps identify the source. If you're looking for an accurate, compact, all-in-one RF test instrument, look no further than the new MFJ266C. Visit MFJEnterprises.com today to learn more about this extremely versatile instrument. This is a nice little analyzer, Tommy. I really haven't spent much time with it yet, um, but I'm going to. We'll be doing a review on this in the future. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. It's, that's nice. It's, uh, I, I don't know if I'd say it's a step up, but having the extra frequencies in here is nice because I actually wanted to check my UHF yeah. antenna. I like that uh, that uh, vernier dial there, you know, that. You turn it several times to go as far as if you just barely touch uh, oh, yeah. one of the regular ones. So yeah, I like that. Yeah. That's nice. It's That's pretty true. nice. We'll we'll be learning more about that in the future. But right now, let's have a slice of what? Devap pie. It's tasty. Hi. This month's segment's by popular demand. I've had so many people ask me about doing a segment on creating a portable hotspot using a Raspberry Pi, a Devap and some type of a portable internet device. I've got my little MiFi here. Um, make it all battery operated, of course. Got my little battery that uh, I picked up pretty cheap. I'll tell you about that. Um, and we're gonna, we're gonna put it all together, set up the operating system, and package it all up in this little portable case that I found on sale really cheap. And uh, anyway, let's just, let's put it together and take a look, see how it works. The first thing we need to do is burn the operating system to an SD card. I've got an 8 gig card and I went ahead and downloaded the Wheezy Raspbian distro from the raspberrypi.org website and we're just using the Win32 disk imager available from the same location. There's some brief instructions there on how to burn the image to an SD card. You can also refer back to Amateur Logic episode 42 where George has a full segment on how to set up the Raspberry Pi for your first time use. Pretty informative segment, so it might be a good reference to go check out again before you venture off into here. We've got everything we need laid out here. First of all, I've got my ID51 to test with when we get finished. I've got this, it's a tackle box bag. I actually ran across this at Walmart for just a few dollars. They had them on sale, and uh, it's going to make a nice kit i have sealed it up but uh, <clears throat> i've got the foam cut out so where everything will fit in there when we get ready and uh, it'll all fit nice and neatly and travel without sliding around i've got a usb cable fairly short one this one actually happens to have a mini and a micro on one end and uh, you can use one or the other so i'll use the the micro for my raspberry pi I also use this to charge my GoPro sometimes when I'm on the road. I've got this battery 
that I found at Walmart one night. It was on clearance for about $9, I think. And uh, I, I wish they had several of them because I'd have bought them. But you can charge this thing up and it'll give you uh, AC power. It's got an inverter built in it. But it's also got two USB ports. And while it says they're only rated at 500 milliamps, it works fine with my Raspberry Pi and my DVAP. I've tested it for an extended period of time and had no trouble whatsoever. So this was a great find. And I've got my DVAP and my little stubby antenna. I've got my Raspberry Pi in a, in a pretty secure case. Probably not the best one I around, but uh, it doesn't wallow, you know, flop around in the case. I've got my SD card with the OS on it. We have not booted from this yet. This is the one you just saw us burn to the card. I've got a keyboard to set things up and the USB dongle for the keyboard and the trackpad. This has been really handy for my Raspberry Pi experimenting. I've got an EDI Max, a little stubby uh, Wi-Fi dongle. It works great with the uh, Raspbian OS. Picked this up on Amazon for about, I think about 12 bucks or so. Got my little MiFi that we're going to use for internet access. <clears throat> Over here I've got a HDMI cable hooked up to my TV so I can video and show you guys the setup process. A hardwired network connection with internet access and then my power that's plugged into the wall for a setup. Let's boot everything up and let's see what we can get into. And let's give it a little juice and we should be on our way. Takes it a few minutes. This is probably not the speediest computer around. All right, so let's uh, let's go through and do a little setup. We got a few things that we want to do. First of all, uh, expand file system. What this is going to do is the OS I, I downloaded was burned for a 4 gig card. And let's go ahead and expand it so it will use the whole uh, 8 gig card that I've got. I would suggest going in and changing the user password. For simplicity and shortening the video, I'm just going to leave it at the default of uh, Raspberry. Uh, but anyway, uh, definitely go in and change yours when you, when you do it. We want to enable boot to desktop because we're going to use the DVAP tool that Robin Cutshaw developed for the Raspberry Pi. I know a lot of people are using some of the other third-party stuff that runs as a daemon on Linux, and that, that's cool stuff, but I'm going for simplicity here. Uh, enable boot to desktop. Yes. Enable and disable SSH. That, that's very important, and we definitely want that enabled because I want to be able to remote into it with my laptop. Uh, while I'm on the road and, and be able to do things because we're going to be running headless. Let's uh, get out of this utility. We can always go back in here. It's called Raspy Config, and uh, you can run it from, from the command line when you log into your Raspberry Pi. Finish. Would you like to reboot? Of course. And here we are. First thing we want to do is let's make sure that we've got access to the Internet. I'm going to bring up LX Terminal. And I'll ping some site. Uh, let's try google.com. 
and there it's replying so we're good to go and let's go ahead and do the operating system upgrades updates actually sudo apt get update you can also upgrade your OS if there's a later version and you do sudo apt-get space upgrade and we're going to do that as well we need to install the Qt tools package to run the dvap tool program so let's get that we're going to use apt-get actually we need to run it as sudo which is the super user apt-get install and it's qt4 dash dev dash tools hit enter now we need to download the dvap tool and we're just going to use curl to do that you can you can go out to the website opendstar.org and go into the downloads and, and get it yourself but to me this is just easier and we're going to go uh, curl dash capital o http colon forward slash forward slash open dstar.org tools dvap capital letters t o o l dash one dot zero four dash rpi dot t g z TGZ is just basically, it's a tarball. It's basically the same as a, a zip file for what you're probably used to. And I see a typo. That's what I get for talking and typing. Curl. And it downloaded it. We've got it there. What we're going to need to do is extract it. Let's do that. It's sudo tar, which is the utility to, to manipulate those files xzpf dvap tool same file name we did before 1.04 rpi.tgz and it should be there so ls gives you a directory structure and i see dvap tool so it's just in our home folder pwd tells you what your working directory is and we're in home slash pi. You can move that to another folder if you like. It doesn't really matter. I, I'm going to show you a trick. I'm going to install something called Midnight Commander. So let's uh, do sudo apt-get install mc. So let's run it under the super user account. sudo mc. We're going to need to create a folder. It's not here by default. It goes inside this config folder in your in your home directory. So we're, you can see at the top we're in home slash pi, which is the user that this runs under by default. So let's go inside a dot config. We're going to need to create one called auto start. We can do that by hitting F7 or clicking the 7 down here for MKDIR if you remember your old DOS commands. Auto start. Okay, <clears throat> and what we're going to do is we're going to make a shortcut, just like in Windows, uh, to our DVAP tool that we installed. We're going to put it on the desktop and test it, and then once we know it's working, we're going to put it in this auto start folder, so when X-Windows here boots up, the program will automatically run. Now we'll need to create a desktop shortcut. This is just like the one on Windows. Unfortunately, it's a little bit more difficult to create. 
So we'll go right click new blank file. We'll call it dvap tool dot desktop. Dot desktop is critical uh, for the file extension so it knows how to handle the file to process it. And we'll edit with LeafPad by right clicking and then choosing LeafPad. Let's bring it over where you can see. And you'll need to follow the format of the text that I'm about to enter. I'll have it in the show notes so you can copy and paste it if you like. Okay, so we'll hit Alt F, S. And if it worked, you should see the extension go away, and it did. So then we can close this. Now let's test it by double-clicking it, and we can see that it worked. So let's close that. Now is where you would enter your call sign. I was playing around with this one, so I entered it. So go ahead and enter your call sign, enter your frequency. On the left, you can see we're still in our auto start folder. On the right, we'll go into the desktop folder. And you can see the shortcut that we created. We'll click copy and OK. And it's in the, our auto start. Let's remove our network connection and let's put our Wi-Fi dongle in. And at the moment, we don't have the DVAP connected either. And we're rebooting one more time. Hey, look at there. The DVAP tool came up. But it's, there's no COM port because it's not plugged in. So now we're going to go over here and run this Wi-Fi config tool. It's at the very bottom. It's a shortcut that comes, it's only in the Pi user's desktop. So I see we've got a wireless LAN zero. It detected our device. We're going to go into manage networks, scan, and I see my MiFi right there. Double clicked it and I need to put in my key. Top secret, so I'm not going to read it off. Now let's power down. It looks like we got pretty much everything ready. Let's try and put all this stuff together now and uh, make it portable. got everything packed in here about as neat as I can get in this soft bag let's go ahead and power up everything's booting I've got my little MiFi here booted up and ready to go and here in just a moment we should see a blue light on this DVAP now see blue we should be able to make a call so I've got my handy talkie set to link to one Charlie and I've got my frequency on my DVAP. Remote system linked. Remote system linked. We're good to go. That wasn't too hard. I think I'm going to keep this pretty much set up for the most part and leave the Raspberry Pi in there and keep this so I can just grab it and drop the battery in there and the DVAP and take off. It's going to be very handy. I'm going to actually be using this on the way to Huntsville for the ham fest. I leave Friday afternoon after work and I'm going to use it and try it out all the way over there. So that's uh, 
coming up very shortly and i hope to talk to you guys on it maybe uh i'll be on either 30 charlie or probably one charlie so if you don't get me on one try me on the other maybe i'll talk to some of you then 73 uh, well tommy when you uh go up to uh huntsville how about you uh actually track yourself going up to uh, uh huntsville and back so that uh, everybody can see you uh moving along the highway yeah it, it actually will um, I always have the GPS on on my ID fifty one, and I have mm-hmm. it set to GPSA, and it'll it'll track. It uses DPRS, not APRS, but you can go to APRS.fi and find N five Z and O and and see. Oh, it. great! That is cool. Well, you know, Icom's trying to spread D Star around a little more, and they've got uh, some great new uh, bi-direct offers here to help get some more repeaters out there. ICOM America and ICOM Canada are teaming up to offer ham radio operators some incredible savings. With the D-Star QSO party just around the corner, you can get a great deal on a D-Star repeater direct from ICOM and help expand D-Star across North America. For a limited time, ICOM is offering two direct buy promotions for D-Star enthusiasts in the U.S. and Canada. Purchase a D-Star repeater through the D-Star infrastructure program. The growth of D-Star over the past four years has been incredible. With the release of the ID-51A and the IC-7100, more people are getting on the air with this incredible mode. In response to the request to make the infrastructure more affordable, ICOM America and ICOM Canada are teaming up to expand the number of repeaters. And now through September 30th of 2013, IC7100 operators can get CS7100 cloning software at a discounted price with shipping and handling fees included. Visit ICOM America's website and click on the Buy Direct banners in the Amateur section. Look for the D-Star or CS7100 offers for complete details and instructions. Download the mail order form, fill it out, and mail it in. And don't forget to mark your calendars. D-Star Kiso Party 2013 is coming up next month, September 20th through 22nd. Here's your invitation to the biggest D-Star Kiso Party. Talk to the world by connecting through D-Star repeaters around the globe. Ten lucky winners are going to take home some great prizes this year. Get your gear now and be ready for the biggest D-Star party in the world. Visit icomamerica.com amateur for more information on ICOM's Buy Direct program. Is D-Star available on HF as well? Is it one kilohertz wide or, or you know, uh, does it actually work on HF as well as VHF? As far as I know, the only radio that has uh, D-Star over HF out of the box is this uh, IC7100. Now, I've, I've never played with the 9100. I know it does D-Star, but I, I don't know if it'll do it over HF or not. I'm not sure. Uh, we'll have to find out more about that. We can ask Ray when he's here next week. Yeah, we're going. He's going to be here. We're going to be playing with some new gear. Yeah, we're going to uh, do a shootout between the IC seven thousand and the IC seventy one hundred, and find out how they stack up against each other. You know, both have got their own good points. Uh, the IC seventy one hundred, of course, is the newer radio. We're going to find out just how they do stack up. And Tommy, usually when there's a radio sitting over there on that side of the table, it means something, doesn't it? Yeah, it's, it means it's taking up a lot of space, and we should probably have a contest and give this thing away to somebody. You think? 
Yeah, why, why don't we? Yeah, well, let's let's talk about that here in a minute. Okay. You had uh, one more uh, clarification to make here on... Uh, yeah, I do. In last month's segment about the setting up the 51A to work with the DVAP, I, I had an error in there. Uh, it's very minor, but nevertheless. Um, I was mentioning how you needed to go in and create a group for Simplex, but actually the radio comes with one from the factory. And uh, apparently I must have overwritten mine when I was updating the uh, the repeater list. Okay. So I, I restored it back to the factory setting, and sure enough, it's there. It's group number 20. Okay. Well, that's good. Well, I've got uh, a, a, my final email, and this one comes from Miles, and he says, Hi, all. I was reading the mail as you discussed letting smoke out of circuits, and uh, Lucas Electronics offers replacement smoke for some applications now. Uh, he says he's not sure if this smoke can be used as replacement for semiconductor smoke or if a different part number is needed. Uh, he suggests that we contact Lucas for application and pricing information. Yeah, how much is the smoke injector also? That seems like that would be kind of expensive. Well, it could be. You know, we uh, we haven't really checked prices on that. Um, personally, I don't think I'm going to go there. <laughs> <laughs> well, Peter, you've got one more down there, don't you? Yes, and uh, uh, talking about giving away radios, this is very timely. I've got an e uh, email here from Jeremy N8YP, and uh, he says, I wanted to send out an email right away and say thank you very much again. I'm still in shock. I've never won something like this before. Uh, and, of course, he's won the uh, uh, IC7200 giveaway uh, with, uh, uh, what is it, uh, prizes donated by ICOM, Gigaparts and MFJ. And, uh, yeah, congratulations, Jeremy. Uh, we're really happy that uh, you've uh, you've won that. And, um, yeah, special thanks again to our, our sponsors who, who make that all happen. I've got an email here from uh, Jesse, KB1YNK. It says, my friend Cameron... KF5HQB and I have started a youth net on 20 meters called Arison, A-R-Y-S-N, Amateur Radio Youth Support Net. I'm 15 and he's 18. Our objective is to bring youth operators together and encourage the growth of amateur radio, especially in youth. We also like to have the net just to have fun. We're both general class operators. We were on the front page of QRZ one time. We had our first net June the 14th with moderate success, but we'd really like our net to take off. Thanks. And uh, you can find more about the net uh, if you search for Arison, A-R-Y-S-N, on Facebook. Apparently they have a Facebook group, and they meet on HF on Fridays at 2330 UTC on 14.290 uh, megahertz. Yeah. That that sounds like a uh, worthwhile adventure there, Jesse. We wish you and Cameron all the luck in the world there. Uh, we really need uh, more youth to get involved in ham radio. Oh, absolutely, man, and uh, mm. hats off to you for doing that. And, yeah. uh, you guys go check it out. It sounds like a very worthy net. It does. And, you know, uh, Peter, it sounded like Jeremy was so happy to get that radio. Tommy, let's just go ahead and give this one away. Okay, let's. Well, yeah, can we? Yeah, we'll play with it. Let's play with it until bit. November fifteenth. Okay, that sounds good. Okay. Uh, well, what we, let's. Uh, what are we gonna call this contest? You well, know, it's uh, eight years. It is eight years. So let's call this the uh, AmateurLogic TV eighth anniversary contest. Oh, that's, that's a yeah. 
That's catchy. That that does mm-hmm. work. I think it was October as uh, <laughs> the actual yeah um, sometime in yeah, October. Yeah, I believe it was October. Yeah, right after hurricane. So that's Katrina. close enough. Close enough. So that means Katrina was eight years ago. Mm-hmm. Anyway, if you'd like to enter that, then we need you to go to our website, uh, amateurlogic.tv slash contest. You'll get all the details there. It's basically going to tell you to send an email to contest2013 at amateurlogic.tv. But go read the rules because there are some specific requirements for entering any licensed U.S. and this time Canadian hounds are eligible to win. Welcome welcome to the party, guys. Yeah, so we're branching out slowly. But, uh, hey, that's uh, all of North America, so. Yeah. We encourage you to go check it out, amateurlogic.tv slash contest. Get all the details. Uh, We'll be having more on this radio, as we mentioned shortly. And uh, I've talked with a couple of other uh, sponsors we have there about, you know, some uh, goodies to go with this package. And we'll... More than likely, we're going to be coming up with a couple of uh, extra things that uh, will round this package on. Oh, yeah. Some more th- stuff to enhance the, uh, the the prize here. That's right. Well, this brings us to the close of another show. Before we go, though, we just want to remind you a few things. First, if you haven't already seen it, go check out our Voice of American Museum special. We've been getting a, a lot of good responses on that and a lot of views and uh yeah, that thing's been hugely popular. I, I'm has. really surprised. I, I know it was good because I actually watched it three times myself and and was there mm-hmm. making it. I watched it about uh, 50 during editing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I watched it myself and I was quite impressed. It came across very professional and, uh, you know, I could easily see myself turning on Discovery Channel and seeing a documentary like that. It was quite well done. Oh, thank you. Um, it, it was all in the camera work, and and really, it was all uh, up to Dave Snyder, the guy who did the presentation, did an excellent job. Yeah, the whole well, actually, it's, uh, you did a great job with the editing and the interview as well. Um, it's accumulation of things, but it, it turned turned out excellent, in my own opinion, if I could say so. Yeah. And we'll have some more things like this coming up in the future as well. Oh yeah, yeah, and and, and a good. A, point to note about that is that you know but for what you might loosely call internet television a documentary like that simply wouldn't have been made but it's great that we're able to uh, uh to put that uh forward for people to watch yeah and another thing we uh we want to promote is uh our friends over in huntsville and the great ham fest we're going to now that's next weekend that's uh the 17th and 18th of august yep and uh, we, we will be there. Uh, come by and see us. We'll be the guys walking around with the video cameras and the microphones. We probably Some won't of them. Be, yeah, we probably won't be the <laughs> only ones. And uh, I think uh, Tom Semaseco, our friend over at HQA Radio, is going to have a booth there. And uh, we've been invited to, to come hang out in there and make it a landing spot. Mm-hmm. So we'll, we'll be in there yeah. as well. That's such a great ham fest, man. It's, yeah. it's just a, it's a really good one. It's one of my favorites. Yeah, and we want you to join us uh, next week. That'll be uh, August the 19th for the Do Drop-In Echo Link Net yeah. for Amateur Logic. Yeah, then uh, you can reach us there at uh, star do drop-in star or node number 355-800. Mm-hmm. I'll always remember that number. It is uh, it's a good, 
It's a good one. You know, it almost <laughs> sounds like a, a, a phone number out of a television commercial or something. BR549. Yeah. <laughs> and we want you to, uh, to check out the Amateur Logic Facebook group. If you're a member of Facebook, you owe it to yourself to go check out the group. We got a lot of uh, great comments going on in there. Every day there's a lot of them and a lot of good information being passed back and forth. You know, if we don't know the answer to something, throw it out there in the group and somebody's going to know. Yeah, that, that's a great it's a great resource. Yeah, and also Google Plus. Google yeah. Plus is uh, still growing and of course uh the main reason to go there is Mike and his great Photoshop abilities. Yeah, yeah well, there's a lot mm-hmm. of other good stuff too, but uh you will get a treat, you know, every once in a while when Mike posts those. Yeah, he's got a uh, interesting one on me right now on a Huntsville trip. Yeah, I'd say yeah, it's an ongoing saga. It is. And also Twitter. Where would they catch us on Twitter? Uh, at Amateur Logic. And we want to remind you, if you have a Roku, uh, where can they watch us? Oh, of course, on our Roku channel. Um, and we're in the channel store, so it's easy to find us. Yeah, under Science and Technology. Uh, you'll find us mm-hmm. right there, and that audience has really been growing. Yeah, oh, man, it's amazing how many people are watching from Roku. It is. I actually went to buy a Roku the other day, and they were sold out. Really? That many people want to watch Amateur Logic? And also, you can get us off of iTunes if you're an iTunes subscriber. And our friend Dan in 9LVS does a great service, and that is? Yep, that's at uh, wiki. Nope. No, it's not. It's not. We moved it. It's at amateurlogic.tv forward slash wiki. Yep. And uh, go by there and check out the show notes and uh, find out what's in each episode. There's probably some back episodes that you may remember something in there, but you just don't remember which show it was. Uh, You can probably find it there on the wiki. Yeah. We had to move the address of the wiki because uh, somebody's bot was posting like three, four thousand post a day of screen door sales yes we never knew that uh screen doors were that popular i didn't even i don't even have one anymore but i know where to go get one cheap now yeah <laughs> probably come from china though <laughs> well that's it any uh closing comments peter none really but um yes uh look out for our next episode out on the 15th as usual all right tommy Yep, I enjoyed it. Uh, Hope to talk to some of you guys on the way to Huntsville. Yep, and uh, and on the Echolink Net coming up uh, Monday the 19th. And and we'll be in Huntsville having a big time. We're going to bring back some footage for you. Don't worry about that. Uh, We're going to plan on seeing a lot of friends there. And, uh, boy, it's going to be a blast. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. You got a PL259 on the first top of the list. What you got? Uh, I don't have my list handy here, but that was on there, and some of the adapters to make it uh, fit. Yeah, uh, little mini eight. things. Uh-huh. Yep. And I need another handy talking battery, so I'll pick up one of those. But beyond that, it's uh, anybody's guess at this time. Well, that's it. We've enjoyed it. See you again next month. Seven three. Yeah, seventy three. Seventy three.
I've got an email here from, uh, sorry, can you just hold it just for one second there? Sorry about this. My cat wants to come in, so sorry about that. Yeah, I've got an email here, uh, George, from uh, John. Oh, I bucked that up, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hang on, just just a moment. I just uh, my, uh, my kids and that have just gotten up. I just want to get them to turn down the TV a little bit. Many years ago, one of the uh, first things I did when I got my licence was uh, I started playing around with packet radio. And, <laughs> sorry, my cat is playing in here. It's just, uh... Yeah, sure, George. Uh, one of the first things I did when I started playing with, uh, with Behave Cat. <laughs> sorry about that. Um, okay. Yeah, George, one of the first things I did when I started uh, uh, was, hmm, let me start again, get my head straight here. Yes, George, one of the first things I did when I got my licence was I started playing with packet radio. And uh, whilst packet radio has died off a little bit over the years, <laughs> sorry, this, this, out, shoot, out, go, go. Uh, where I go here, okay. Yeah, George, uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, George, uh, when I first got my license, uh, <laughs> okay, okay, concentrate now. Okay. Yeah, George, uh, when I first got my license, uh, one of the things I started playing with first with, mm, I've got to reword that. Uh, 